Could you just tell us about uh, the practice that you run for Accenture uh, sure. out of Houston? Sure. So we are um, a part of Accenture strategy. Uh, Accenture is divided into five groups, uh, strategy, management, consulting, uh, operations, technology consulting, and digital. Uh, we represent Accenture strategy, which um, you know goes in and uh, advises C-level executives. Uh, we uh, are part of Accenture strategy energy, so our focus is uh, all of energy, uh, including oil and gas. How do you future-proof energy companies? You're a strategy consultant, business consultant, and if I'm uh, the CEO of uh, one of these companies here and I come to you, what's the advice that you would give me how to future-proof or, or future, I wouldn't even say future-proof, how do I thrive in the future? Right, so um, as we know, uh, energy is not uh, derived mainly from hydrocarbons. You know, today it is the case uh, where if you take um, oil, gas, coal, uh, it provides about 80 to 85 percent of um, the total world's energy. But that is changing, as we heard from the uh, you know previous guest. Uh, renewables uh, are making a sharp increase. So, uh, as if you are an energy company and um, you don't think yourself as just a provider of hydrocarbon molecules then you should uh, look to those changes and think of it as a portfolio of um, you know, supply of energy and, and uh, be aware as to how the other part of energy is evolving and uh, include it in your portfolio. So uh, if, if you are, uh, we believe that uh, there is this uh, structural transition that is going to come about, uh, oil to gas to electricity, and as we discussed yesterday, I believe that uh, it is going to energy as a service. Yeah. So to be, I mean, to uh, future-proof yourself as uh, an energy company, you would have to realize that this transition is coming and you have to be prepared for it. Could you just go deeper into future-proofing as a service, uh, yeah. from product to service? Yeah. Because we are still, I mean, a lot of the presentations we see are very traditional in their approach. Yeah. And so how do we project ourselves into the future and say, now we are going to become a service in 10 years' time. Right. What are your thoughts? Yeah, on? I mean, the very simplest example is, think of yourself as um, a gas producer, right? Uh, if you are producing gas, that hydrocarbon molecule uh, could go to many end users. Uh, it could be sent to a utility to generate electricity. It could be sent to a pet chem plant. It could be sent to a fertilizer plant. It could be sent to a carbon manufacturing plant. So if you are... Um, uh, thinking yourself uh, of as selling a, uh, just the hydrocarbon molecule at the wellhead, of course, you don't uh, derive the economic rent from dispatching this molecule to its right end use. But if you rethink yourself as catering to the end use and providing that service, then you would derive economic rent. And, and that could be extended to the customer. So when I said, um, you know, these end users, these are not retail customers. But you could uh, one day uh, be the utility yourself and have, uh, you know, charging plants around and you could actually be charging electric vehicles. So, the, and, you know, the, today in the US, um, gas uh, or electricity is probably like uh, three to four cents per kilowatt hour, and it may go down to zero, as we discussed very quickly. Uh, and, and that is not uh, where the money is to be made. The money is to be made in providing the convenience, the providing 
the service that um, the end customer is looking for. So while you are charging his car, maybe he, you can load groceries in his, uh, you know, in his car. I mean, you, talk, you talk to a lot of CEOs and a lot of uh, business leaders, and let's say on average they are above the age of 40. Uh, how do you engage with them when you look at the 20-year-old digital native who has the future in mind from a different context? Their relevance in their context and their emotion and connection is, is different to the future than perhaps a 55-year-old CFO or a 58-year-old CEO. How do you balance that age dynamic uh, when you're providing leadership advice? Yeah, and it's a very good question, and it uh, relates to the culture change, right? So uh, as you look to um, you know, companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook, you clearly see the age difference between them and the so-called traditional oil and gas companies. And, and increasingly, as um, you know, digital uh, AI machine learning is leveraged, and it actually starts providing value, um, you know, traditional oil and gas companies will be more receptive to have leadership, to have ideas from the so-called younger generation. One of the initiatives we have uh, in our companies is called Future Leaders Board. Uh, and basically, the average age is below the age of 25. And uh, you have a couple of teenagers, a couple in, the, in, in their 20s and a couple in their 30s. And they sit right beside the main board mm -hmm. and to give strategic advice from yeah. their, uh, their uh, perspective. To give you an example, uh, the company Tag Heuer, uh, they have a uh, supplementary board. And the average age of that company, of that board, is only 18. Uh, and the reason is that in 10 years' time, kids may not be wearing watches. They may be having implants or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so there's an existential threat uh, when it comes to watch, the watch business. Mm -hmm. So they're just trying to preserve the brand. When you look at some of these amazing brands around here, and if we translate it into that environment with yeah. alternative energy and, and renewable sources and so on, so they have an existential threat in some ways. Yeah. So how do you, you know, is that a good, potentially a good way to approach this? Yeah, so uh, it, it could be. Uh, the major difference that I see between, um, let's say, Tag Horror um, and, and uh, the traditional oil and gas companies is there, they were selling a product and they have realized the need for uh, catering to an unmet need of the consumer in the future. And they have decided to transform themselves as sell from selling a product to selling a service. Now, in the traditional oil and gas companies, I think we have ways to go, um, you know, probably several decades before that transformation occurs, right? So, uh, they, they, I mean, we would continue selling the hydrocarbon molecule, but there are fringes, right? Um, and, and there are certain companies that are beginning to uh, sell service and uh, morph into uh, utilities. Uh, and, and there, I think that kind of thinking is likely to come about uh, quicker than the, 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 the more, um, you know, embedded and more uh, conservative parts of the uh, company. Manas, you, uh, you meet great people, you have access to amazing bits of information, probably more than the average person. What keeps you up at night? What scares the hell out of you? What are you worried about? And you sort of say, I've got to do something about this. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I, w I don't know if I can say it keeps me up at night, but one of the things that we are thinking is, is this industry underestimating the pace at which it could be disrupted? You know, we uh, have these talks and we believe that, uh, you know, it is probably several decades because, uh, you know, oil, uh, you still 
you know, uh, today, this year probably we are going to be at 97 million barrels per day in terms of consumption, and it is increasing at 1.3, 1.5 million barrels per day per year. So it's a nice cadence, you know, and um, we have been calling the analysts or the alarmists, uh, you know, we have been discounting them. But uh, could, could uh, this pace of disruption really make, um, you know, oil, uh, and for that matter, uh, hydrocarbon, a um, lot less needed than, than what the industry is anticipating. And if that's the scenario, w what could happen, right? Yeah, we talk about oil caters to transportation, but also will be used in petchem. But, uh, you know, w uh, just an increase in one million barrel or one and a half million barrel uh, in, in supply caused a big disruption in prices. So, uh, uh, you know, if the demand somehow collapses by just two million barrels, could it bring about uh, you know, a lot of pain, again, is, is what is concerning me. Yeah, when uh, digital photography came in uh, in 2012 uh, as a mainstream product, yeah. uh, there was a collapse in analog photographs right. and a vertical uh, rise in digital, in digital yeah. and our, our problem set changed from scarcity to abundance right. because it was a, now we can take as many right. digital photographs as we want and the cost of supply became zero. Right. Um, so the business model completely changed. Yes. And, and that's what I'm saying is about how are these business models changing yeah. within the oil industry and how you know, adaptable and flexible are we in terms of being able to respond to this? Because something is going to happen suddenly. Right. And, and how responsive are we to that? Yeah, and, and uh, I would say honestly that um, uh, very few, very few companies are actually uh, prepared uh, to be that flexible. Um, it, it, I mean, it is just in talks, but... Uh, we would catch a lot of these companies by surprise if that thing comes about. Our children are growing up in an amazing environment, but uh, they're growing up in an environment where they are training and learning uh, at school and university for jobs that don't yet exist. Yeah. Uh, what do you tell to a young a person how to em embrace this future? And what are the, the kind of skills and attributes that you would tell your kids and the younger people here? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think the previous speakers talked about it. You know, the skill set that is required um, in, you know, delivering digital service um, in the likes of Google is no different than what, um, you know, energy sector is seeking for, or for that matter, cable, media, telecom, uh, financial services. So I think uh, the skill set is what, the younger generation needs to focus on. And it is, uh, labor would be a lot more mobile across the industries. You know, in the past, you train for an industry and you were kind of pigeonholed into it and you spent your entire lives there. That, that would no longer be true. And I think there is this, um, you know, fear that we won't be able to attract um, the right talent and things like that. But, but I think some of it is not justified, I believe, because to the extent we can create value, we can create impact, we would attract digital folks, just our AI, machine learning folks, just as much as Google and others are um, being able to uh, attract. And your final thoughts, your final advice to the people who are here, what would they do tomorrow morning when they go back to work? What is that one bit of advice? You're a consultant, you build this thing. Yeah, and, and um, like I said yesterday, I would, uh, I would again focus on uh, value, right? So there is this lost, lot of uncertainty around, oh, you know, there's AI, there's digital, 
but I won't get return on investing in this expensive stuff. It's like gadgets to play with. Uh, if, if we turn that mindset around its head, on its head and say, um, look, uh, here are some of the areas. You know, if it is production that I'm focused on, let us figure out how to you know, decrease the cost of supply or how to increase production while decreasing cost of supply, how to reduce the turnaround time, uh, you know, reduce the latency in the system, how to uh, identify optionality, how to monetize it. I think if we go with that mindset and then think of digital AI as tools that enable me to do that, I think I would be a lot more successful. Manas, thank you very much. You've been very yeah. indulgent with your time. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Big hand for yeah. Manas.